0: Lifeways Connection, thanks our business partner, RPM Associates, who are creating innovation in aviation and aerospace industry and production. Their goal is a stronger future for all of us. Owner operator, Rob and Deb Mudge, are members of our community, and their personal and professional commitment is making Rapid City and the Black Hills a great place to live and raise our families. Thank you. You're both amazing people, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for stopping in and listening to us. appreciate you here. My name's Garrett Atwood. I'm going to be your host today on Lifeways Connections. I've got an amazing dude that I've known for a long time. I'm grateful he's going to spend time with us. He has a world of knowledge and a a real intimate knowledge of his own uh, recovery, uh, spirituality, and and especially how it deals with uh, young people. So without any further ado, I welcome Matt Thrash. Good day, Matt. How are you?
1: Pretty good, Garrett. It's always great to talk to you. We go way back. It's always great to talk to a friend, especially an old one. Like he said, Matt Thrash, I guess, uh, lived in Rapid City my whole life. Owner, operator of Thrash's Living Art, Thrash's Tattoo, and Wild Idea Tattoo in Rapid City. My wife, Kathy. Got two children, a couple dogs. Try and keep it simple.
0: Today, that's a, a job. To keep things simple or to be present.
1: Yeah, I don't like to get out uh, ahead of myself too much. You know, the the more I take on, the crazier life feels. So uh, I do like to press myself somewhat to accomplish and realize my full potential. But um, I don't ever want to get too big for my britches. Um,
0: You've done some amazing things. Didn't you run the Boston Marathon?
1: No, I'm not the Boston. you got to qualify for that, Uh but I have run a marathon, kind of just to say if I could do it or not. The route in the Black Hills, my dad was saying, isn't a marathon course, and I said, I don't really care what a marathon time I could get at sea level. This is where I live, so um, if it's on deer trails and mountains and stuff, then I want to say I ran one here definitely training for it was more fun than doing it and so I just basically try and get out on runs as often as I can to keep physically and mentally healthy. One of the coolest things lately is my son, who's eleven, started tagging along on my neighborhood run and really, you know, during school closure and really started off with some terrible side aches and whatnot and then the little guy had pressed through him, man, and now we're just past all that, and now we're just having a good time out there. So it's uh, that's an odyssey for sure.
0: You weren't much older than uh, your son when I first met you, were you like 15?
1: I would have been 14 when we met.
0: 14,
1: wow, yep.
0: And today, you are
1: I'm 48, I'll be 48 in a week. Wow, when I get six months out of a birthday, I just go ahead and round up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you like to accomplish today? What, what are the, some of the things that, based on our premise of connecting with youth, what are some of the things that you'd like to uh, accomplish or get across?
1: I guess whatever you're looking for, any kind of uh, analysis or insight to what I believe adolescent, I think, you know, the topic is adolescent chemical dependency. Am I wrong?
0: Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And okay. you had a beginning.
1: Well, yeah, I was probably, I guess, God, I don't know how many, between even like 12, I suppose, I had used, I drank some alcohol, some of my first experiences with marijuana and alcohol together. And by the time I was 14, I was already in a drug rehab. That's where I met you. I really freaked out my parents at that point, and they were pretty responsible people and were going to do anything they could to, to help me or interrupt that and just that wasn't just allowed i mean i i really had to sneak around you know
0: did you think that they were trying to help you or did you think of them as being against you when they were trying to do something about your substance use
1: uh absolutely against me Mm -hmm. at that point because you know as a as a as a young person uh, i had tons of friends that under the same microscope at their at their homes you know i would go at great cost a party or a keger or anything that even at my age i was kind of young to be there but i felt like i could keep my composure enough to be allowed by peers a little bit ahead of me you know sure them i wasn't going to get them in trouble in a way but they didn't have to go home to parents that were going to sniff their breath when they got home and then if if they smelled alcohol, take them to detox. My parents were certainly doing that. So, But I was, I mean, I would get smashed. I think it was kind of beyond uh, just letting something slide. But they were in a category I consider a lot of people at the time, you know, like as, as a kid, you know, when, when drug experimentation was happening in the 60s, it was an experiment, okay? Nobody really knew what was gonna happen but in my age growing up in the 80s like we knew what was going to happen there was there was bodies laying over there okay so as a young person it was always are you going to use, use drugs you're not going to use drugs you're going to use drugs you're not going to use drugs what's it going to be dude you know you shouldn't do them and so there was like this freight train running at you as you got older being like are you going to make the choice what's what are you going to do you're going to do the thing or you're not going to do the thing and then, of course I was in a situation once where somebody had some marijuana and some some wine and some friends of mine, we all tried it, you know, and we, I remember it just kind of came on really soft and it was kind of fun and like, it felt kind of, you know, itchy in your tummy or whatever. And we just laughed and, and literally tears in our eyes, laughing and joking around and and having a good time. And, and then it kind of like, I walked home It was in the neighborhood and I just kind of walked home and by the time I got home It was no big deal and I went and did my homework and had dinner with the family and that was it and then I realized or I I started believing at that point that it was a big scam You know it was a big it was There was a group of people that were lying to me They were teachers. They were policemen. They were my parents there was tons of people that were like if you use drugs, you're going to like steal your mom's purse and push her down the stairs or something, and you're going to be in jail next week. And it just wasn't true. Didn't happen. So I just started listening to all these people. I'm going to follow my own path and it doesn't involve authority. And somewhere along the line, you know, I just wanted to listen to metal rock out. I mean, that was really one of the only places like. To throw on a Walkman and go listen to The Doors and smoke cigarettes and, and Black Sabbath and some of these these bands, like, I really connected with those because they were one of the few places that weren't telling me I was broken or wrong. And so I just disregarded a big chunk of, of people in my life. I'm going to have this in my life, you know, and for a bunch of reasons. I suppose it really helped with anxiety and just confusion in general of being a teenager
0: you were still in school Um, how did you cope with being in school
1: well what happened was my parents put put me in a treatment center called arc at the time and it wasn't the treatment centers i think in general like a rehab was like a new thing you know thinking of the doors i think if If Morrison could have lived another year, there might have been a treatment center to put him in, you know. Uh, A lot of people, you know, it was just kind of like, let's create this whole thing to save lives. And started off, of course, with people that had, you know, adults. There wasn't really even a thing of like adolescent drug use at the time, much less like 13, 14, 15. And at 14, I was in an adult treatment center. I'm just sitting in the smoke room with my pen and paper, taking notes, going, okay, so what now? What have I missed out on so far? Like, what what's going on that I haven't done yet? And really, I just couldn't wait to get back after it. I lived under, like, this code of, of behavior that, like, nobody's really watching out for audacity. If you're the more audacious you are the the likelier you are to get away with something and i'm not so sure we we weren't inventing like um stealing prescriptions from houses when people weren't looking but we were definitely doing that because we didn't have i didn't have a, a connection you know we would we would rob houses of prescription pills go down the books look them up what they were i don't know see what they were, you know, and that was stuff that wasn't even on the radar at the time. Two weeks into that treatment center, I found prescriptions in the park and took them and I had basically drugs in the treatment center. I think it really, like, rocked their world as far as, like, what's going on here? There's people here trying to get back on their feet and you're acting like this is a joke and they they basically let me out saying, you're not treatable, and I wasn't.
0: What was it that made you untreatable?
1: Oh, that I was getting high in treatment, I suppose. What they did is, my parents said okay, took their kid back um, at the request of the hospital, and basically put me on a child in need, a supervision thing, which I of course blew and ended up in Yankton when I was 15. I was there nine months. So Yankton's like a old college campus where each dormitory and campus building is like a different level of psychiatric care from ones with barbed wire around them, Constantino wire, to that are like criminally insane, to just people basically walking around on medicine. Cafeteria run, they're all joined together by tunnels. Cafeteria run by work release from Sioux Falls. Kids were coming from youth forestry camp and Plankington. Ridiculous, like breaking away and running away and Finding kids in the parking lot like huffing gas out of cars and stuff. I'm just like, I I didn't think I was that crazy, but or, or ridiculous. But I was a, i was like the second kid there that re, that completed that treatment center. Nine months I was there. I remember having braces on and that were just on a whole nother nine months they needed to be. And when I got home, I didn't even need retainers. You know, like they were just so set. So all this stuff, my parents are, like, going through their job, going through their life. Um, My parent, my mom got clean, sober, alcoholic, got sober back when I was 14. Counselors then said, how are you going to have a sober kid if you're not sober? So my mom's, like, in the program from then. Makes it even harder for me to be around that situation. Really, I'm just, like, the self-absorbed, self-centered, spoiled rotten kid that's just, like, I don't, you know, I just don't care. I'm going to get high and I want to go have fun and I'm going to do it my way or whatever, you know. So,
0: Could you tell when it was going to go from having a good time to I got to have it? Was there a point where you could tell you moved from, let's say, just abuse into right. addiction?
1: Oh, yeah. At this point, I'd still like when I got out of Yankton and came back to Rapid, the school, I didn't even do the eighth grade. They just let me into the ninth grade. I was already six feet tall. You know, they weren't going to... They said, well, you probably learned enough already, man. Just put you in the ninth grade, and school's pretty cake anyway, so I did it. And I was like, okay, well, the microscope's on me here. I need to just chill out until I can get away from these people. And I did. I I was clean probably three years just because of the mechanics of all that just weren't going to work, you know. But I had never seen real skid row. I had never seen wet brain people. And I hadn't touched any real heavy drugs. I like that term over hard drugs because heavy just makes me see a person holding something heavy. Hard doesn't really describe the drugs properly to me. Probably in 10th, no, I was in 11th grade when I had enough freedom to where I could get, like, Stone and covered up enough before I re-entered the presence of my parents for sure so that was kind of happening they were kind of on to me and I remember I was good I got high with my one friend and my two friends we did some LSD and I called my mom and told her I wasn't going to be home on time and she told me just don't come home Matt and it sounded really weird, like she was in a in a culvert. I was like, we need to get out of here. I just got kicked out of the house, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of happy about it, you know. I never did go home after that. I was 17, so that that became. I finished high school, living in an apartment. Uh, I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to get high. I'm gonna have a house. I'm gonna have a job. I'm gonna go to school. Whatever I gotta do, and it's just gonna be a part of my life.
0: Do you remember where you were working at the time?
1: Yeah, I worked at the hospital of all places in the kitchen while mm-hmm. I went to high school. Go there after school, there'd be a whole wall of pans. It's like fifteen ladies in there cooking on convection ovens. And they didn't do any dishes, and there was you couldn't run the pans through the washing machine. There was a lady there at the time, though. She was like, you know, up up to no good, and I could sniff that out in a second. And she wasn't from here; she was from another city she was basically like, hey, do you think you could get rid of any of this stuff? And I was like, well, hell yeah. You know, so I could just make a connection anywhere, it seemed like. But eventually I got out of there. I ended up at the meatpacking plant because I could never pass a UA. And they didn't really care um, if you were clean or not. They had labor issues enough to not worry about that. That's really where I started getting exposed to the early days of the amphetamine culture in this area for sure. That's
0: the myth that we hear talking about so much today.
1: I've seen, an, I've seen a change in that in my day. It wasn't that it wasn't strong. It wasn't, I mean, we had very powerful amphetamines. Again, you had to be well liked. You had to be trustworthy. You had to have some kind of street ethics and there was almost like a a mentorship in a way. If you were were adding amphetamines to your palette of drugs, you almost had like a bit of a a coach. Like, okay, yeah, this is normal. This is what... These are normal effects you're feeling here. And these are normal thoughts. They're not true. Okay? Um, Maybe you should get some sleep. And if you're not going to sleep, maybe you should at least lay down and rest your body. And if you can't, get yourself to eat you should probably make yourself eat something like chug this shake okay even as gross as it is and it would kind of keep you from going um manic psycho all of a sudden your weird thoughts would kind of simmer and and then that was kind of it like if you wanted some more there wasn't really any in town you couldn't just go and get more if even if you had the money there was almost like a forced sobriety you almost had to come down. You're looking around, maybe every 10 days or so, you might be able to find some, even with connected people. And then you would buy whatever you could, so you could, because that would be it. It would get scarfed up, and then that would be all you had, and you could go on maybe a three, four-day run.
0: And how old were you at this time, Matt?
1: 20. I was probably, from beginning to end, it was five years. It wasn't five years straight. It was There was periods of, like, I can't just be high on this stuff. A year you know and i would get off of it for six months and i would get i would get my girlfriend back i'd get my boss off my back i'd get a place to stay and my car fixed, and i'd have three or four hundred bucks in in my pocket and, and a few five hundred bucks saved and and then i would think well i'll just smoke some weed or drink some beer and a week later i'm like this sucks i need to just I want to get my hands on what I, what really, you know. I want to blast off. And then I'd be back on another nine-month run until I was just exhausted, and then be like, and then start that cycle over again. You know, that's that's kind of the part of that's really where I started waking up to. You know, those people early on were right. They they were saying you want them out too much. You're gonna smoke yourself stupid. You're not gonna have any opportunities. You're not. You're going to end up in jail, and all that was true. They just didn't preface it that it's not going to happen overnight. It took years for that to happen.
0: You're able to recall from 14 to 21 pretty much in a nutshell, I mean, of what your use was.
1: Well, some of those highs are almost like such a powerful experience. I I can remember minutes of them verbatim they're almost like a flashback just when they say flashback it's your ability to recall that's how how fantastic they were I mean
0: now that's that's recalling the experience but what when you look back what did you miss what didn't happen because of that substance
1: kind of where I'm I was leading this to where it is what I see now 25 years later clean now is there's people getting their hands on this stuff without any anybody there you know whatsoever would sell it to the biggest idiot the youngest kid the any circumstances for any reason and when you run out you just go over here and buy some more and just get crazier and crazier and crazier. the volume of it is intense and it's just making scorched earth. It's bad enough what it was like when I was using it up until 95. I never could have predicted the compounding of magnitude of the the damage it's doing to our our community and all
0: the communities. Let me interrupt you for a second because you kind of I asked a question and you you didn't really answer it, and I think there's an underlying reason for it. And and that was when I was asking you about you can recall all of these episodes while you were using but between the ages of 14 and 21 what what did you miss out on what did you do you, do you remember or or is that kind of a blank except for the substances? well i
1: i miss it's it's kind of like I don't feel like I missed out on anything. It was like, if you're having a good time over here, doesn't mean you missed out on anything because somebody was having a good time over there. You know, I was having my experience. One thing I saw what what happened was coming on early on in this area, of course, I saw the motorcycle rally. I was able to get to some Grateful Dead shows pretty early. And again, these were people living on motorcycles, enjoying freedom. Um, Definitely art was in play with the paint jobs on the motorcycles and the tattooing and the flamboyancy of the whole thing. And then at the dead shows was just more of the same, more people basically not living by um, the status quo rules of of society that, that I felt like was trying to make me stand in line with everybody else to achieve something I didn't even want to be. And so, like, early on, I could do artwork. I was totally like, I'm going to become a participant in these subcultures as an artist. I'm going to be free like these people. And a lot of what I found was I thought, well, that means I need to get high every day. Getting high meant that you were a member of this tribe.
0: Was that part of the the creativity?
1: Yeah, I I just thought, okay, um, if you're going to be Mr. Counterculture, then that involves drugs and alcohol, um, any of that stuff. So I guess by being, well, no, I mean, that's not a guess. I can see that, you know, and I see it today. I see, I used to say these things. I used to say, if it wasn't for blah, 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 I would have a motorcycle, if it wasn't for all these reasons beyond my control, I would have the Volkswagen bus of my dreams, or I would have coolest hippie chick to be around, but I'm just such a victim of circumstance. I know that towards the end of my using, I could hardly write a letter that couldn't keep up. My hand couldn't keep up with the thoughts in my head enough. There was the disconnect there, like physically I couldn't do it. And a lot of the artwork I had been doing before Um, airbrushing, painting clothing, painting motorcycles, you name it. That all went away. Like I couldn't, I could not achieve the gifts that I work with today were, were gone. They just were gone. And that's, that's what took it. Um, It just uh, logically the amount of time I was investing into, getting drugs, finding drugs, looking for drugs, arranging places to do drugs, uh, places to isolate, Um, it was pretty hard to accomplish anything else, but ultimately a breakdown that I couldn't even focus my thoughts enough to not do any of the things I'm doing today, that's for sure. To round that out, I'm thinking that once I got drugs and alcohol out of the picture for myself, that's when first thing to come back was was my um, artistic inclinations. I mean, I'm basically sitting on a couch going like, all right, I'm clean now through some of my own desire, some of too much pressure from the system to just, the system's basically looking at me like, is it too much to ask for you not to do acid and amphetamines every other day? Because if it is, we've got a place for you. And I wasn't willing to get high, that bad. So I'm sitting on basically contemplating like what am I going to do with my life? The most badass thing I can think of doing would be to do tattoos, you know? like there's I could chase that dream that I could chase that impossible goal. I guess I got started by doing other types of artwork. really had to teach I had to I had to show myself to some people that I was employable for sure, and that meant I had to have a couple years clean, but now that the, I'm making that younger version of myself jealous as hell. Now, I mean, I, I'm so plugged into the counterculture now. It's it's not even funny. But I, I felt like, I guess just the marketing of it, and like I, I guess I bought into that marketing as a young kid that I needed to be using, smoking weed and drinking beer and, and having a party to no to be a biker, to be a, a hippie, to enjoy music, to paint to do tattoos and do all that and once i got all that out of the picture like all that stuff came to me
0: what what made you wake up then i mean there was a point that that you gave it up or or was it a gradual letting go kind of a thing
1: i was really i was really strung out at the end i'd been to four treatment centers I lost everything. I was down to, you know, even when I didn't have any possessions, I still had people that liked me. I still had some respect within my community of other addicts and other just people that weren't flat-out addicts just saw something of value in me. And when I was losing that, I was just like, well, what am I going to do? Follow my friend to Seattle and get on heroin? Am I going to go to Vegas and where there's even more amphetamines? Am I going to go? I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. And I, I sat in my car one day, and I call it the prayer. It wasn't a traditional prayer. I said in my car, I said, you're going to turn 23 in a few days. Wouldn't it be cool if you were sober then, you know, like if you could get clean on your birthday this year, and that's as far as I went, and that was the prayer. I call it the prayer now. I don't know if I just saw it as the prayer then because the next day I got arrested. I got arrested, and I always call, I always say this to people, like arrest means stop. You know, cardiac arrest. <laughs> And stopping was not something I was going to do on my own, and I needed help. And the kind of help I needed was um, basically somebody to come and just stand on my neck. And I got in the system, and I was looking at going to Sioux Falls for um, five years or something for possession. And I was working at the time, construction. One of my friends had gone to Sioux Falls for a year, and he was on the crew that day. And he said, you can sit a year, thrash. You know, he goes, you can sit. You're going to fight every day. And I was like, well, what do you mean? You know, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to fight. You know, he's like, there's people there. They're, they're, you're going to fight in the stairway. You're going to fight in the, the yard. You're going to fight in the cafeteria. You're kind of a pretty boy, man. He goes, they're going to want to make your face as ugly as their face. And now this guy, I don't know. This guy's gone, man. This guy's long gone. But he did me a favor that day. He, He basically helped scare me straight because I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do everything I can to not go there. And if I go there, I'm going to go there clean. I'm not going to show up to Jameson in Sioux Falls hungover and try and survive that situation. I was clean like a year when they sentenced me to five years in Sioux Falls. Spended, the judge said, that you got to report to this guy. He's the hardest PO I got. And if he says, you screwed up, you're going to go do five years. And I believed him. So I was, I was did 30 days in jail, spent you know $1,600 on a fine. I had to do all kinds of debriefing and all kinds of weirdness, you know. But I was like, okay, that's where I was on the couch, going, all right, well, I've got this. I'm not going to go to prison for drugs. Let's see, um, what am I going to do? And I was just like, well, I'm going to lean into like everything else. Like maybe I can get a motorcycle and maybe I'll find what I'm looking for there. Maybe I'll. Chase my art dream. Um, And I got an art job, you know, working, doing sign painting at a sign shop, which led to a tattoo apprenticeship. Two, three years clean, I didn't feel better until I was clean, like, two years. And that's the other thing. I talk to young people now about, they give it six months, and it's like, you know, you can't just milk your pleasure glands and your brain daily for years and expect to get clean 30 days later, feel like nothing happened. You know, it takes a long time for that to heal.
0: There's a, what came back for you first, the physical, the, the emotional, mental, or the spiritual aspects of your life?
1: I never felt like the spirit stuff had always been with me from young through the using. I always felt a spiritual connection. I've never really had trouble plugging into that. My God loves me either way. He gets disappointed, I imagine, like like a parent would, but a parent will love your, the kid no matter what, you know. Mm-hmm. That's my God. I was young, you know. I was doing stuff to my body that I would never dream of doing at my age now. Um, you can't redline your heart at 50 like you can when you're 19. I think I got away with a lot of stuff just from my age. I think the physical, the the brainy darkness of just like a dull drill bit smoking, trying to get through something was just how I felt for like a a long time. And I just remember my early early cohorts, you know, the old heads that were still using in their old time and in their age, you know, their advanced age of like 50. <laughs> They were kind of like trying to tell me, you know, don't step there. If you're going to step here, step there type stuff. And they would have said like, hey, man, you can't run with the big dogs and pee like a pup. You've got dues to pay. I was just paying them and I was just hoping that it would get better at some point. And I remember it got better one day. I was mowing the lawn at this apartment I had and I was really getting this perfect regulation cut and I was getting under this pine tree and i was not having a bad time i was kind of digging it and i was i sat there and i thought you're doing some pretty mundane shit here having a good time you know it's like and i thought i just almost felt the voice of saying like you're and 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 you're healing you know you're you're getting better man and um it was exciting that uh, i felt like the drugs in my brain were metering themselves out properly, and I was back to a healed state that, you know, most people give it six months and they don't feel any better, so they go back to what works every time, that kind of thing.
0: I was privileged to be able to watch you go through that too, and, and that was always pretty remarkable to me.
1: That... Well, I mean, it could be flat out, if, there could be some supernatural, flat-out miracle going on there, you know. But I got some real traction at that point, you know. Um, Still had a lot to clean up. uh, And Tattoo really had a lot to do with it. It gave me a place to go. It gave me, had to face the public. To pour myself creatively into each project. I had positive male role models in that field. Always been a steady stream of, like, next-generation positive male role models for me and there was a lot of them back then. I just did what they said. People would come into the tattoo shop that I needed to make amends to in order. It was weird, and I would do it. It would have been easy as hell for me to leave town and never face any of that stuff. It was a lot of work to stay here and and get honest with people over the years to where I'm not even a redemption story anymore. It's such ancient history that, that I'm just beloved. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of funny because I wasn't for a, a while and I had a lot of tangled up string to untangle you know
0: miracles happen let's j- jump ahead to to right now you've got an 11 year old son and I can't remember how old your daughter is
1: yeah Robin's 13, 13.
0: with all this behind you Matt and your success business wise, relationship wise, your your inner self that has grown remarkably. What's it like having two kids going into their teens?
1: Well I've always thought like almost like a cartoon almost like woman I'm married to, we didn't know we had kids to make someday. And what does God think of me knowing who I am to give me a, a kid, much less a daughter? And the coolest one, you know, like ever trusted me with a, a girl, a daughter, and then dish out a son, you know, the coolest one ever, who says, like, challenges me to like, you don't even know, you don't know me, he says. And I go, oh, I know you. You are, I am you. You're just the new me, you know. And uh, there's a thousand me's behind me. Is how I see it. It's interesting. I just don't feel like I deserve them. You know, I just don't feel like on one day I'll be like, you're the idiot guy who threw his young life away like, and had to claw it back. Two, the next day I'll be like, will you have the unique way of looking at the world that maybe can help them succeed? Uh-huh. I would like to think that. It's too early to tell how it's going to impact them or not.
0: My guess is that you're a living example, though they I'm sure they know some of your history, right?
1: Yeah, and I don't get into it too much as mm-hmm. far as like unless I'm describing it as the biggest mistakes that I made, I've really had to think about it with my daughter. You know, it's not like I was just given a thirteen year old I've got thirteen years' experience with this particular person. And so it doesn't feel so overwhelming when you look at it like that. and i've I mean, we're. We're mind melded and we, we think a lot alike, and I can see her in a lot of ways being me, but I just say, I say it's like, kind of like I treat sex, you know, with her. I say like, look, I want you to be a sexual person. I want you to be healthy with that. I want you to choose wisely and I want you to be in charge, but I want you to be old enough to be able to deal with the consequences. So that's been my position with drugs with her is an alcohol. I said, I want you to be able to go to a wedding someday and drink alcohol like a social lubricant and laugh your ass off. But I'd like you to wait. Put it off as long as you can. And that's I just don't say no. And that's what I'm saying about marijuana, too. I said, just look, don't be a teenage ashtray. Make something in your life. And when you can handle all those things that are coming at you and you want to add that as an adult, then do it.
0: What we found is that if you abstain, if if a person abstains uh, until they are between 21 and 25, Mm -hmm. that their chances of becoming addicted and having problems with drugs and alcohol uh, goes way down. Way, way,
1: way down. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, I was getting into my parents' alcohol young. Well, that's a disaster every time. So when I smoked marijuana in sixth grade, it ended my childhood that day. Um, people are like, well, marijuana isn't really a big deal, and it's there's low social cost and all that. And I I see that, and there's probably some benefits to it, too, but it ends childhoods. And I just assume it not end my kids is, you know, if you want to go rock hunting, Rock climbing, ex- kayaking someday when you're 30, and smoke some marijuana. Like, probably the best place for you to do it. Have fun at the beach. But I don't respect a 20-year-old smoking weed every day just to get through his day. You know, like so. There's somewhere in there, and, and universally, it doesn't just make you a, a drug addict, dope fiend, But I don't, I don't see where why our culture had to go to a dispensaries and smoke shops and coupons for your first sack is 10 bucks or whatever, you know, and right. like, it's you know, all that either. So, um, it's getting in, it's going to get into my daughter's psyche. You know, I can say, Grayson, I don't want you watching the walking dead. And he knows all about the walking dead without watching it because he can't walk into the, the bam bookstore without seeing all the walking dead stuff. And, <laughs> He's picking it up, you know, so it's the same thing. I think that was the biggest thing was back to that freight train decision is, is are you going to do it? you going to do it? Is to say, you know, you're have your time, just don't get in a big hurry with it. And I don't know how that's going to play out. I don't know if that'll be the way to go, but I think for me it's making it this forbidden thing just made it all the more attractive
0: as a parent, as a recovering person, as a business owner, to me listening to you every time we have these kind of conversations it it's amazing to me from 14 to this day what kind of a trip you've been on <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying that there's yeah. there's no drug that could have created this trip and if you were stoned you never would have had a chance to experience it.
1: It's worked out for me. I've known a lot of people that it hasn't. I don't think it's universally just going to take everybody. It just isn't good for our culture to have it in it, I guess. Like, I can see that now. It isn't about being free. It isn't about freedoms. It's it's none of that stuff. It's A lot of people invested in me with four treatment centers, I never paid anything for that. Like who paid for that and why? You know, like what system invests in drug addicts like that or the the most affected, the lowest of the society? You know, what's, what's their payoff really? You know what I mean? Like for me to pack the coffers with tax money doing tattoos or maybe they just, people just wanted beautiful tattoos they weren't gonna get otherwise. If I were gonna, you know, Have an overdose or something. I don't know. You know, so that's kind of where um, I think just the prevention of it. You can't decide who's more valuable than another. I I don't know. I I can't get my head around it. I really.
0: um, You, You know what? You don't have to. Maybe that was just part of the trip, Matt. Maybe that was just part of the trip. That all those things had to happen to get you to this point.
1: Well, I think it's, it's 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 less about me today, more than you know. In a lot of ways, I got away with murder. Like I'm, that's basically what I'm trying to say. I'm living a life now I don't deserve. Um, in in some respects, I'm living in a way now I know people that saw something in me then would appreciate. Um, and that's just how I, that's how I do it now. They saw the potential. They saw the thing, and they, and maybe I just needed to reel it in so I could have. These these kids are basically everything to me and they're maybe they can make the impact that I couldn't. I wanna put them into the society as a benefit, not a not a liability.
0: We're coming up on an hour and it went by incredibly fast. Always seems to go by. Yeah. You, know. you know. Is there anything in particular that, that you would like to uh, convey to parents? And if there's some young people listening, that quick summary of...
1: Yeah, I mean, if I had to button that all up, I would say it's a one-way street using... No one's ever used their way into being a millionaire or a beautiful house or any of that. I used to think that famous people that had tons of steady income and connections galore, they never had to work for their drugs, what lap of luxury that would be. And now I see it as those people are dead. Right. Those people die. So that's not a benefit. The story is true. It just doesn't necessarily happen overnight. Drugs will take everything. It's just a matter of time, sometimes quicker than others.
0: It's real sneaky.
1: And parents, I uh, would think um, there's value to like what my parents did, is they just did whatever they could to interrupt my using, that maybe a miracle would happen In the meantime, while I was sitting in jail or uh, while I was in treatment or while I was sidelined from access. And I think that's society's play, too. I think they're trying to say maybe something can happen in the meantime or this guy is just sitting in jail. And I just wouldn't give up on anybody, really. I've seen people come back further than me. And I'd be curious to hear what my parents have to say about it because they've often confided in me if they could do it over they do stuff different, but I wonder what it would be because enabling is, is another long class. Am I wrong?
0: No, it's been a long you know? time. And,
1: and so that's, that's just the whole other level, you know? And that's with my parents being married 50 years. That's with the whole bit. Like it's, it wasn't a broken home. It wasn't three sets of parents. It wasn't, you know, half brothers and it wasn't all that stuff. It was just, it can get really complicated. If you're in this situation, if that situation's in your crosshairs right now, I would just say believe and work on it, and don't ignore it. You know, it will pay off.
0: Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend some with me and with other people. I think that uh, conclude what we've been talking about. Although I'm going to say an hour really doesn't touch. The, the complexity of what's going on in our culture, in our community, and in kids' lives. I mean, there's just a whole lot of stuff that I never experienced. Uh, you said you were 48, right?
1: Yeah, it's a moving target, right? Right, and and
0: I'm 67 going on 68. When I was growing up, it was nothing like when you were and now it's the kids that we're dealing with today i haven't got a clue sometimes um, all i know well, is and
1: that and if the trajectory is staying the same and then it's just going to get crazier we're hoping for a revolution a resetting and the downward trajectory of people connecting with their feelings and learning to cope otherwise and not glorifying drug use and disconnect it, and start to glorify wholesome, true feelings and how Mm -hmm. to go through life like that. That's what I'm, that's what I pray for. That's what I want. Let's hope. Sobriety isn't cherished and celebrated in our culture. Let's hope for a change
0: there. That we can all hope for and pray for. And with that, I would like to thank you again for taking time out of your day and away from your family to talk with us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, my friend.